Hello and welcome to The Dirt. As you know, this podcast celebrates failures as well as successes and that is just as well because we've had some tech gremlins attack my mic in a couple of the sections of this week's show and the audio from our lovely guest is a bit rough in places too. But in the same way a wonky tomato still tastes great, we hope you'll agree that the chat is still sweet despite its blemishes. But we're sorry just the same. And so, on with the show. Take it away, um, me. Hello and welcome to The Dirt, in partnership with Marshall's Garden. We're the podcast that wants you to give peas a chance. I'm Laura, editor of Grow Your Own magazine. And I'm Blake, GYO's deputy editor. Coming up today, we unearth some simple tricks for recharging your soil, dig into the green-fingered news stories of the week, and advise on some seasonal garden jobs. But before we get to that, we're joined by one of my favourite YouTube gardening stars, Liz Zorab of by the farm. Welcome to the dirt, Liz. Hello, and thank you so much for inviting me. You are welcome. Hi, it's great to have you. I love your YouTube channel, so I've been wanting to get you on here for ages because I watch it religiously, actually. Quite often in the evenings when I just want to calm down and, you know, think about some ideas for the weekend or that kind of thing. It's always a nice watch. So thank you. It's really exciting to have you on. Thank you. <laughs> and then um, how are things in your garden today? Things are looking very cold and wet. Uh, at this time of year, although I talk to people about the things that they could be sowing, um, I don't actually sow anything until either the end of February or even the middle of March. Mm. I take my cue from nature. Uh, I see what's growing. And at the moment, it's only a few weeds. Uh, the grass isn't growing very much because it's so cold. So I just wait until I can see nature has gone. Yes, now it's time to grow. Uh, and then I'll start sowing. So at the moment, the garden looks, I would like to say it looks all beautifully prepared, but it doesn't. It looks, um, it looks wintry and kind of half done. Uh, lots of the raised beds have got a nice thick mulch on them. Uh, lots of them have still got uh, crops from last year waiting to be harvested. Uh, and there's quite a lot of mess, actually. I like your honesty. That's good. I think there'll be a lot of people listening that are looking out to their gardens. I certainly am and thinking the same thing. So that's good that yeah, we're not alone in that. No, absolutely. I'm looking out of my window thinking that at least the weeds make it look like something's growing out there. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't look too closely, you wouldn't know what they were, would you? So that's fine. Yeah, God, it's so green out there. <laughs> that's interesting, Liz, that you say that um, you're not sort of sowing too early because what I've you know, always been really interested in is how you grow. You're almost self-sufficient with what you're growing on your homestead. That's right, isn't it? Mm -hmm. So um, I would have maybe expected that you would be sowing earlier to get that started and that kind of thing, but you find that you don't need to to do that. I don't need to do that. I've got fairly good now at making sure that I have I've sown later in the year so that quite a lot of things are overwintering. Mm -hmm. And then they're ready to get going really early in the spring. So as soon as it warms up uh, out there, there are more carrots, which will grow those little hairy, hairy white roots very quickly. But there will be some small carrots to harvest. There's beetroot. Uh, there's still chard and spinach. There's all those lovely brassicas that are available to see us right through the hungry gap. So I've, I've kind of pushed the season rather than starting it earlier. I've pushed it later in the year. And uh, so I'm still sowing 
uh, beetroots and carrots in August, September and even October. Nice. If it's a warm October, so that there are small plants in the ground to, to get me going quickly the next year. I do need to be really quick about harvesting them and harvesting them as babies because otherwise they just go to seed as soon as it gets warm, warm. Mm -hmm. um, but it allows me to not have to to try and deal with sowing in cold weather. Although I have recently seen somebody who um, actually sows their seeds while it's frosty and while the ground is frozen. Ooh. And so I think for next year, for next winter, I'm going to give that a go as an experiment because I think that's a really interesting idea that you get your, your seeds in the ground in the way that nature would, that they would have sat there all winter before they then start growing in the spring. Oh, yeah, I see. That makes sense almost, doesn't it? That they would be sitting there in the warmth underneath the soil waiting almost to spring into life. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm going to give that a go next year. Uh, but, but you know, no, for this year, I, I try not to uh, do too much work too early in the year and to make sure that I've had a really good long rest between the end of November and when I start sowing so that um, my body has recovered from all that activity mm -hmm. uh, in the autumn uh, where harvesting and preserving the food is gets pretty frantic. Mm -hmm. um, so actually to have that time off and to not only rest my body, but to rest my brain and to rest the garden, I think is a really good a good move. I guess also it gives you that renewed um, vigour to come back and do it all again, rather than if there's just no break at all, even sort of mentally, you might end up just getting a bit fatigued from it, I guess. Absolutely. And it's and it also, it's really exciting. You know, that's kind of whole, at the moment, looking online, everybody's saying, what can I sow? What can I sow? And mm. everybody is very, very keen to get going. And there's this, there's almost a discipline around saying, yes, I'm really excited, but I'm going to channel that energy into preparing myself, preparing the garden, checking through that I have got all the seeds I want yeah. rather than actually sowing. And then uh, when it's time to sow, I can just get going with it. Um, and that's it just feels like there's, there's this pause during winter, or it's not even a pause, it's a rest during the winter. And then it's just like, boom, off we go. <laughs> um, so looking at your time gardening would you be able to tell us about any particular successes that really stand out to you anything that's gone amazingly well that you're really really proud of oh yes well there are I've I've actually been thinking about this and there are probably four four things that I would really like to share mm -hmm. uh, the first one is carrots I have a complete love-hate relationship with carrots in terms of growing them <laughs> so some years I've sown 3,000 seeds, and I have grown six carrots. Oh, wow. That, that's my less than love relationship. <laughs> Last year, uh, I planted around 3,000 seeds, and I probably grew... Uh, 1500 carrots or more it was last year was just a really successful year so one of my successes uh has been learning from i think it was james prigioni who suggested that when you uh when you sow your seeds and you water them you then put a board over the top of them to stop the water evaporating 
and you leave it there and you know for four or five or six days uh, until they have started germinating then take the board off oh. and that has just given me a so much better germination rate of my carrot seeds so that's been uh, one of my real successes is learning to do that um, and this year I didn't I didn't have a board for all of the carrots and I just draped some um, thick green netting over the top of it um, and held it down uh, with some stones but just and uh, it was just enough to stop the ground drying out constantly so that's one um another one is uh, growing runner beans as perennials oh wow we've been here five years and for the last four seasons uh the same runner bean plants have been in the ground in the same spot oh wow so I'm not moving them around. They are literally the same beans. And at the end of the year, I cut the, the stalks off and leave about four to six inches sticking out of the ground, mulch really heavily. And then uh, in spring, yes, I do grow more runner beans just in case. Um, but of the last year, of the 21 plants that were in the ground, 14 came back. Oh, wow. And the difference with them is, you know, when you grow runny bean, when that little seed sends up that shoot with a beautiful leaf that arrives and you kind of go, yes, this is the start <laughs> of it. It sends up one shoot, whereas the plants that have in, been in the ground for some time aren't sending up one. Last year, they're sent up between five and nine growing shoots oh, to go up each cane so the volume of of harvest that you're getting from that one plant is just enormous in comparison mm. so they've been a real success and they came through uh the beast from the east in 2018 so it's you know they have come through some really cold weather and some some don't make it so i plant fresh uh, but they've been a really good thing and I've heard from people who are um, as far north as Pontefract who are saying they can do the same thing. So it's not just about being in this very mild microclimate that we've got here uh, near the water in southeast Wales. That can actually be done uh, all over the place. That's that's amazing. That's definitely something to try this year, Blake. Yes, absolutely. It's, um, I was surprised. It was it was more of a well. I'll just give it a try, and then when I was telling people about it on my uh, YouTube channel, people were coming back saying, "Oh, we've been doing that for donkeys years." <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> so I didn't invent it. How much more generous they are, though, is amazing. The fact they send up that many more shoots. Yes, yes, and they're really there's a there's an actually there's a difference in the color of the leaves as well. They're much darker leaves from the perennial ones because I'm assuming the roots have got much lower down in the soil, so they're pulling nutrients from those lower levels. Uh, just just like comfrey does, you know, taking taking uh, nutrients from a lower level. And I'm assuming that's what the, the the beans are doing, or possibly they've just got bigger root systems. Whichever it is, uh, the leaves are definitely greener and more lush and there's just more of them so uh, another real bonus is stop me if i'm saying too many no no this is great these are great <laughs> another bo you never bonus have too many successes <laughs> yeah. uh was um that we've discovered there's a load of food that we like so there's there's lots of things that when i said shall i grow some uh, mr j said well i don't really like that and i thought well i'm not that keen on it but let's give it a go and a whole load of food that as children and young adults and because uh, I'm a bit older, even as middle-aged people, uh, we didn't 
didn't necessarily like the taste of because we were buying them in a shop. Mm. When we're harvesting them from the from the garden and they're on the plate within minutes, have got a completely different taste to them. And we love them. So there's all sorts of things from beetroot, which we were kind of, I've, I've always liked a little bit of pickled beetroot, but not much. But I now can't find enough ways to cook beetroot because yeah. I just, <laughs> we just love it. Um, so we do everything from roast beetroot to uh, a slow fried beetroot and beetroot chips. And, you know, so it goes on. Beetroot risotto, all of those things. Um because the taste is just so much better than those that have been bought and sat in a shop for a few days uh, before they come home. Yeah. And just like with potatoes, which just have like, the taste of a, a freshly harvested potato is just amazing. So there's that's been a real, that's been such a pleasure to, to discover that actually lots of foods that were near, yeah, <laughs> near in the past, I'll just wow when they're homegrown. I think um, that's a really interesting point as well because I think a lot of advice that you will hear is often grow what you like to eat to avoid waste. But then the fact that growing something that you're unsure of might actually make you love a type of vegetable that you that you didn't know you were going to enjoy. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I got first time I grew broad beans here. It was because Mr. J liked them. Uh, my memory of broad beans are bleh, not very nice. <laughs> I can't even make a polite noise about it. <laughs> but uh, freshly picked, homegrown broad beans, completely different kettle of fish, and absolutely lovely. So, yes, it has been a, a real pleasure. And and you don't need to grow a great big bed of something that you don't know if you like, mm. you can actually just grow two or three plants, find out this year and then go, well, yes, I do. And then do more in the future. Yeah. So you're not committing yourself to, to wasting space on things you don't like. Yeah, I know that makes a lot of sense. And then my final plus plus positive uh, is that when we moved here, um, it was the, the ground that I grow in was uh, previously just a, a paddock. Uh, that was home to some alpacas and a pony. And I thought, oh, yes, the soil's going to be amazing. Uh, wrong. The soil was hard. It was compacted. It was almost lifeless. Uh, and there was there was very little soil life. There was very little wildlife around us. And in the time that we've been here, uh, we have just, we have attracted, I'd like to say we've brought them in, but that sounds like I went off and found them and carried them. They've come. Uh the whole place is now teeming with wildlife. It's so noisy out there with with so much bird life and uh, there are moles and voles and shrews and beetles everywhere and grasshoppers uh, all season singing their song. And it's actually just, just this cacophony of sound, um, which has been such a pleasure because to me that says we're doing something right out there yeah. absolutely that's so rewarding as well when you're not you're finding that you're not just benefiting from this but look at what you've done for the local wildlife and biodiversity i think is a another real plus of growing your own really absolutely and it and it's a privilege as well to be able to have that space and, and be able to set aside uh, an area to uh, grow some stinging nettles and and knowing that those nettles are supporting so many different types of wildlife and mm. um, yeah so we i feel i feel really pleased that there so much wildlife has appeared 
So I think that's enough of all the uh, positives there, Liz, and we're going to move you on to some bad things that have happened. <laughs> it can't have all been good. Uh, no, it hasn't all been good. And as I hinted uh, with the carrots, yes. uh, I have I have uh, my fair share of utter failures in terms of trying to grow things. And I would like to say it's the same plant every year that I just can't grow, but it's not each year. It's something different that just doesn't work for me. So one year I actually wasn't able to grow a single courgette. Oh, I mean, <laughs> wow. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> it was, uh, it's like, how do you fail to grow courgettes? So I um, managed to grow the plants. They got about three or four leaves and then they just went, no, thanks. Oh, no. Um, which was really sad. So uh, one year it was no courgettes, another year it was no carrots. A um, couple of years ago, uh, I managed to grow no uh, French beans. So every year there is there is one almighty failure. And because I grow most of our food and certainly all, all of our veg uh, and most of our fruit comes from the garden, if I have that kind of failure, uh, luckily, I always have a backup plan. So if I've got, if I'm growing French beans, like the dwarf French beans in 2018 that just decided they would not work, uh, I'm also growing other runner beans and balotti beans um, as climbers and in a different area of the garden, and they did okay. So it's, and all we have to do then uh, is change what we're eating to fit with uh, what has been successful. Uh, and then, um, the other, my other big failing is is that I can do it. I know I can do it. So I will go out there and attempt to put up frames for uh, brassica tunnels or fruit cages or uh, bean wigwams, and I will try and do them on my own when actually the instructions say requires two people for assembly. <laughs> <laughs> But you know that's okay. I can do that, and and inevitably that fails. Yeah. And, it's, and it's one of those things that I never ever learn that lesson. I still think that even though it says you need two people, I can do that. <laughs> and that you know that arrogance comes back um, and bites me in the bum every time. <laughs> one year you will prove them wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I really hope at that point I'm filming it because yes. <laughs> that would be one because I've got an awful lot of film of me failing to put things together um so so that whole thing or just going i know not reading instructions properly and not taking notice of them saying no this requires more than uh just one woman who's hell-bent on doing something <laughs> so there's that one uh and then going back to uh, the earlier conversation uh the other um the other real negative is the thing of sowing too early so although I say I'm not sowing until end of February and March, I will still sow uh, all the uh, courgettes, the maris, the cucumbers, all of those. I always seem to sow those just that bit too early so that not only do I then have to prick the seedlings out into little pots, I then got to pot them on and then sometimes I have to pot them on again before the last frost. And I, that's one of those timings that I just... I will probably never get right because my eagerness is is 
is just to get those in the ground. I, I was just... going to ask if it's just being too eager to, to get started on stuff. So yes, that's what it, it is. Yeah. It's absolutely, it's, it's being too eager. It's once you've, once I've started sowing and I've, and I'm there, it's just like, well, I've got the, I've got the seeds. I might as well sow them. Um, and I, I'm not thinking that through carefully enough that, you know, I've only got, they only need a few weeks before they actually need to get into the ground. Uh, they, and I give them, I'm giving them two or three months and really they only need you know, a few weeks. So that's one of the things that I still, I still get wrong consistently year after year because I'm just too keen. I do think, though, the fact that this is something that comes up quite regularly with gardeners, it actually speaks volumes for growing your own, that everybody is so keen to get out there and get started. I think it says a lot about the fact, you know, how much we will enjoy our gardens and how much we can't wait to get out there and raring to go. Absolutely. When you've been stuck inside uh, all winter, looking at your garden, getting more and more of a mess and more green with weeds. You know, we, we are itching to, to get going and get moving. And we've been sedentary for a couple of months in some ways. And that kind of that release of, of energy and it's like ready, steady, grow, <laughs> you know, quick, get out there. But, but yes, I think that exertion of energy or that sudden spurt of energy we have being able to do things then makes us get a little bit carried away with our timings. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so mentioning sort of the time that we spend in the garden, obviously there were a lot of people over the last year that took up gardening that perhaps hadn't done it before. Those may have been people that ended up with more time in the garden that perhaps now may have gone back to work and have a bit less time again. So we were wondering if you've got any cheeky shortcuts or hacks that you would be able to share with the listeners. Ooh, cheeky shortcuts. Uh, I think probably the best one is um, cut your grass just before you sow your potatoes and uh, grab a bucket or use soil uh, in your garden, put down your seed potatoes cover them with grass clippings so it won't work if you've put a weed killer on your grass um, but if you have got grass that hasn't been treated with any chemicals um, you literally just put potatoes on the soil or if it's in a bucket on a two or three inches of compost in the bottom of your bucket and then load on a load of grass clippings and what does that do your potatoes will grow in the glass grass clippings oh so rather than having to earth them up, you know, and there's no earthing up. Next time you mow your grass, get those grass clippings and put those on top and you keep on piling them up and that will exclude the light from the tubers. Your potatoes will grow nicely because they're putting their roots down into that soil or that compost. And it's a brilliant way. At the end of the season, the potatoes come out really clean. There's no digging because you can just literally move the grass clippings out of the way, pull the potatoes out, and you've also got an area now that's either uh, got a nice grassy compost uh, created on it or you've got a bucket full of compost to go and add to your garden. Nice. That's a great tip. That's so good because I think one of the things that might put some people off is the thought of having to cart loads of heavy earth everywhere so to be able to minimize the sort of that side of things is really great 
And you've got to put those grass clippings somewhere anyway. Yeah, that is very true. <laughs> that is very so true. you're absolutely, it's two jobs at, at the same time. So moving on to our big final question that we like to ask people. In the time that you've been growing your own, what is the one biggest lesson that you would say you've learned? Well, that is a really easy And it's that while you're growing food, grow relationships. (laughs) I think it's more important to um, build relationships with the other people uh, at your allotment plot, at your friends, your neighbours, in your community, because they have knowledge they've got wisdom they've got experience that and we all know gardeners love to share yeah love to share their experiences uh, they also love to share cuttings seeds seedlings and by building those relationships and building that community you're going to widen your knowledge widen your experience uh, widen widen what you get to eat because you're going to exchange food with people to try different things and that, that that building of community, I think, is uh, as important as building raised beds. That's such a lovely thing to say. And that's so, so true as well, because I think probably all of us can think of, well, multiple moments, but certainly people over the course of growing that have been really kind and really helpful and shared mm-hmm. their experience, shared their story. And even down to the fact that we you know we were talking about things that don't go quite as well hearing other experienced gardeners saying actually this happened to me so don't worry if it's happened to you because you get to try again next year yes <laughs> as you said Liz something else will go wrong next year and that will go wrong <laughs> so you know I think I think that's such a such a lovely and very very true point that you, you grow more than more than fruit and veg um, also, you have a book coming out, don't you? Would you be able to tell us a bit about that? I do. Uh, it's called Grounded and it will be out on the 5th of February. And it's the story of taking the empty field that we had when we moved here and spending five years creating a, a food forest and food abundance. And it takes you through through that journey of not just physically uh, building the garden and encouraging all the wildlife in, but the processes that I went through and we went through as a family and the changes that happened to us. So when when we bought this place, uh, I was actually very ill uh, and walking around on walking sticks with kind of expecting to be in a wheelchair by the end of the year. And uh, luckily that didn't happen and I and I got better, but it was that I thought I felt that there was I felt there was a story to be told and some encouragement for other people that sometimes gardening does more than growing fruit and veg mm. and giving you healthier food. It has actually given us a, a healthier life altogether. And um, so I wanted to share that. And so the book is full of uh, this is how I did this, uh, full of those little nuggets of, of shortcuts and information. Uh, and hopefully people will find it uh, almost like a mental toolkit uh, to, for them to be able to find their way forward or their journey towards feeding themselves. That sounds great. And um, I can't wait to read it. And that's coming out on the 5th of February, you say? Yes, it is. Yeah. 
Fab. So we'll let you get back to signing some of those books which you said you were doing beforehand. <laughs> if your hands were covered at this point, do some more signing of them. And um, we look forward to, to diving into that book when it comes out. Absolutely. Laura Blake, thank you so much for having me. It's been oh, really thank nice. you for coming on. It's been great to chat to you. And we can't wait to see what you do next in the garden. Thank you. Blake, shall we go and chat to Paul and Hayley from Marshall's Garden about why we should love our soil? Hello, Paul. Hello, Hayley. How are you both doing today? Really well, thanks. Really well, thanks, Laura. Good. And um, what's going on in in your own gardens today? It's a bit wet here. Yes, it's um, it's, uh, wet where I'm in in Suffolk. Um, We've still got... uh, uh, vegetables coming out of the vegetable garden. Kale is a particular winter favourite of mine, but there's also quite a few um, winter flowering plants which uh, do cheer you up on a on a gloomy day. Yeah, totally agree. We've got lots of um, the snowdrops are starting to come up at home. The allotment is kind of still being put to bed for the winter, ready for the spring planting. Um, waiting to plant lots of new exciting things this year. Really, it's not far off now. We're nearly there. We are. In fact, yesterday, lunchtime, it really did feel like spring. Oh, yes. Especially when you get a little bit of sunshine amidst all the drizzle, you really can feel that spring's on the horizon, can't you? Definitely. Um, so you're both here to talk to us about soil today. Um, so first things first, can you tell our listeners how gardeners can identify what type of soil they have? Laura, th- this is a really important skill to learn. And um when I was thinking about this the other day, it took me right back to being a student many years ago. And the the best way to learn about your soil is to go out in the garden and pick up a handful and feel it, touch it, smell it. Mm. Um, and we were taught as students to rub the soil um, between our thumb and our f- forefinger. And you're using, I remember our soils lecture always used to talk about tactile means. And it's absolutely the, the way you have to um, find out what your soil is like. So a clay soil is going to be very smooth, sticky, and it's going to feel heavy. A sandy soil is going to be gritty and granular. Silty soils are fine and smooth. They can have some clay in them, so you may get a bit of stickiness. Peat soil, if you have just a um, peat soil, is obviously going to be very dark, um, a lot of organic matter, quite springy and spongy. Loam, which is that wonderful combination of clay, sand and silt, is going to be a combination, obviously, clay, sand and and silt. And a chalky soil, if you've got a chalky soil, um, the chances are it could be a a clay chalk. So, again, it's going to have a lot of the properties of a a clay soil. Um, So once any growers have identified the kind of soil that they've got, it may not always be the kind of soil that they need. So can you tell us some of the best ways to improve your soil? Once you've worked out what you've got, and I think the knowing the type of soil you've got, for example, if you've got a very heavy clay soil, um, we know how much rain we've had recently, um, and you're very easily um, going to damage the soil if you go on on the garden after a lot of rain. So adding organic matter particularly from your garden compost heap, can make a huge difference to the structure of the soil and improving the structure helps protect against damage. It obviously improves drainage, it'll improve fertility, 
Um, it's all about giving those plants the, the best possible soil conditions. And obviously, when you're growing in an edible garden, there are certain crops that will require different kinds of soil to have success with them. So what is the best way to make sure that your soil is suitable for the crops that you can grow? And in some cases, will this be growing something in containers just to make sure that you've got exactly the right soil for them? You, you can, of course, grow um, uh, any plant in in containers. And, and certainly if you've got... Um, for example, a very um, a soil with a lot of organic matter in, um, you may struggle with things like carrots and other root vegetables. Too much organic matter, you can get a very fibrous root on your carrot, which is obviously not not desirable. And um, things like potatoes will tolerate most soil conditions. If you've got a heavy clay soil, they're going to be a lot harder to um, plant, and obviously, ultimately ultimately harvest as well. So containers are a great option if um, you're either um, on very poor soil or your soil hasn't been prepared um, for that season's growing. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, there are things that you can add to your soil. Obviously, there are various composts and things available. So thinking about um, products that people might want to use in the garden, would you be able to tell us a little bit about um, the Marshall's Garden Organic Extra range. Yeah, absolutely, um, Laura. It's something that I actually use on my allotment and I've really come to love it. Um, something we've been supplying to customers for over 30 years and we've got lots of allotment users that sort of closely guard it as their secret to boosting their veg crops. <laughs> um, it's, uh, oh yeah, they're very, very protective over their growing secrets. Uh, it's locally produced in the UK, which is really nice. Um, and you can use it anywhere. You don't just have to use it on your allotments. You can use it in your flower beds. You can use it in raised beds. You know, it's not just for veg. It's for all around the garden use. Uh, you can use it and dig it into your soil. So you're preparing your beds and adding all those lovely nutrients back into your soil ready for growing again. Or you can use it to top dress during the growing season. Or you can even turn it into a liquid feed. Um, it's so, so versatile. And also a little bit will go an awfully long way. You'll get an awful lot from each bag that you um, buy from us. Oh, that's great. And then um, you saying that it's a fiercely guarded secret among a lot of allotmenteers. That's when you know you're really doing something yes. right, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I'm probably the uh, the different one. I'm at the allotment. I'm flashing the bag around to show everybody what I'm using. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't want it to be a secret. No, and it's such a good product. Everybody should be yeah. using it. Hayley, the other, the other um, rule of thumb, which um, I was told many years ago, I can't remember who told it to me now, but um, when you're putting fertilizer or a soil improver or any of these other products onto your soil, people are often asking, well, how much should I use? And, and I remember this old boy, he said to me, he said, the thing to do is imagine you're putting salt on your chips and you know instinctively not to put too much on, not to put too little on. So it's a it's a sprinkle mm -hmm. as if you're putting salt on your on your chips um not particularly scientific but it's funny how sometimes these rules of thumb <laughs> are pretty good i was gonna say you haven't seen me putting salt on my chips paul i, I, you know, I cake it on there <laughs> well you might want to go a bit lighter with your fertilizer <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a great part. And it's so easy for any kind of gardener to use, whether you're an amateur or you're a novice gardener. It won't do any damage to your plants. Um, so you can be really confident when you use it. And you've got a limited offer for the Dirt listeners as well, right? So how can people claim that and what is it? Right. OK, we're doing a special offer for the podcast listeners, which is for until Thursday, the 11th at midnight, we will offer five pounds off each of the organic extra products we sell, which is either two 44 litre sacks, uh, one one sack or a tub. So if you just go online to marshallsgarden.com, um, pop it into your basket and enter the promotional code OE5OFF and you will get £5 off your organic extra. Fab. Okay, so we need to go out, roll around in our soil a bit and uh, <laughs> identify exactly what kind of soil we've got and then get on and get that offer. <laughs> roll around in the soil. <laughs> maybe, maybe once things have dried out slightly, it's still probably too sodden to be doing that. I don't know. It would be some sort of mud mask at the same time, which I'm sure is, I'm sure is good for us. <laughs> you get to know your soil. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is true. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much um, for your time today. I'd like to remind the listeners to find out more about Marshall's Garden, head to marshallsgarden.com. And of course, don't forget to take up that amazing offer. So, Blake, yes. shall we go and get stuck into some chat about some garden news? I think it's time. Hello again, Blake. Hi. How are you doing? I'm good um mostly good sad because we got some news about the fact that um the rhs shows won't be going ahead or malvin's not going ahead and chelsea i think's been postponed hasn't it till yeah till september which was i guess um it's one of those things where we were kind of expecting it but yeah. there's always that slight glimmer of hope that they might have gone ahead as normal but um as it's been getting nearer and nearer i guess that's to be expected there have been a lot of interesting takes on it though obviously not the cancellations because that's understandable but sad but Chelsea in a different month might showcase some really interesting stuff that we don't normally see that's a good point I hadn't even thought about that so obviously when it's usually in May that's prime time but it could be a whole different thing in September as you say showcase a whole different different kind of garden it's such a great day out though isn't it i know so i know i was really hoping we'd get to go again this year or maybe we will maybe we will fingers crossed in september it will happen and we can go because i think what i love about going to these types of shows is that you just get get to take away so much inspiration from things you get to see really creative new ideas from like the most um exciting up and coming garden designers uh, see that's all very well and good but I thought you were going to say it's great to have a day out as a team doing some team bonding oh I mean that is really really nice too and who doesn't want a day out at this point like it would like, I would I'd take a day out just to the office at this point Laura but um, a trip to Chelsea would be lovely I do also really love getting to see some people face to face that we don't you know that we often chat to on here or for the magazine or columnists that write for us and getting to actually have a little catch up with them over a cuppa is nice. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, you are you are right about the garden inspiration. There is a hell of a lot of it there. And I mean, I think we always come back just brimming with ideas. Mm. And also just so impressed that I, I think 
I feel like I could garden every minute of every day forever and I will never understand how they keep everything looking so perfect. I know. I know. You just walk around and you're like, everything is pristine here. It really is. It really is. And also the whole thing of walking around and then bumping into people all the time. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. I just want to go again so much. Um, but if not this year, next year, but fingers crossed for the autumn. Absolutely. And I wonder how how different it will look, like what the what the landscape of garden shows is going to look like. Because obviously when they go on throughout the year, normally you can see trends unfolding and things happening mm-hmm. quite naturally throughout the year. But you know, if it does go on later this year or is pushed to next year, then then you find that it'll almost be like two years before between actually physically seeing things and how I don't think I'm explaining myself very well, but it will be interesting to There'll see. There'll be a whole jump in like the trends on what yeah, because yeah, normally year to year it's you know, nothing changes that much, does it? But maybe there will be a whole new influx of of trendy new th- things there. Trendy new things. Speaking of inspiration though. I was thinking earlier because I was having a flick through one of my Alice Fowler books and if my garden could be any garden, I just basically want Alice Fowler's garden. Mm. You just sent me a photo, didn't you? And it's so beautiful. Yeah, I need to find a way to make that happen by actually going out in my garden and trying to recreate some elements of that. So I got me to wondering, like, what would your dream garden be? Mm, I would want... Um, I would want everything. Yeah, I would love to have like a walled garden. Oh, yeah. Um, like a really traditional uh, walled vegetable garden would be lovely. Um, not sure I will ever have a house big enough to do that. <laughs> um, so failing that, just having something where I could have a veg section, um, and then perhaps having something more floral as well. I would want it to be busy. I like it when there isn't loads and loads of gaps between the plants and stuff, especially, you know, lots of really tall flowers would be nice. Um, but the problem that I have, as you know, is hay fever is a problem. So would have to be careful and maybe mindful of that when deciding what to plant. Um, might even throw in a wildlife pond. Yeah, that sounds good. Just for the fun of it. Yeah, something that would attract some frogs. So do you know with your hay fever, like, what sets it off and what doesn't? I don't. I should really find this out, shouldn't I? It's kind of one of those things that would help to make sure that I wasn't, you know, rubbing my nose up against some <laughs> grass or something, if that's what's causing it. But then it. also, I guess it could make for a really unpleasant period of time while you're doing those experiments. I don't even know how they test for that. <laughs> I love how we've just gone straight for it. must involve just rubbing your face on plants. <laughs> like there's no other way this can be done. <laughs> so you would um, cut and paste Alice Fowler's garden ideally, would you? Well, yeah, sort of. But then you've obviously said that you can, you've created a garden in which you have more space because my garden is um, a similar sort of style in terms of like terracey housey and like long and thin to Alice Fowler's garden so I guess that would transfer quite quite nicely to my garden and I love all the interplanting and everything that's going on it just oh it looks like how you would have created your own secret garden in your head when you know yeah oh love it but then I think also I do agree on the walled garden thing like maybe oh there's there's so many possibilities though if you add in extra space like I could have I, I would want to create Alice Fowler's garden, but then I would also maybe want a gate through to 
a walled garden or a small holding. <laughs> I love that it's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger here. Yeah. Um, I think what's really done it for me on that walled garden is that I went to um, in the in about September time um, when we were still able to go outside occasionally. I went to uh, Kentwell Hall, which oh, is a, nice. a stately building near us, and they had a beautiful, productive Victorian walled garden. And I just haven't been able to get it out of my head ever since. It was just. It was just so stunning. I was like, I will move here. I will work here, whatever it takes. So, yeah. Did you go on a school trip there when you were younger? They did a school trip there, but I didn't go. I don't know why. Oh, I went and you had to dress in like the, you had to have like a period costume. Yeah, Yeah, that's what, yeah, it was similar. So I kind of can't imagine visiting there not in a costume. (laughs) (laughs) It's a really lovely place, though. It's funny that you said about that school trip thing, because I don't feel like it's like if you live in this Suffolk, Essex area, everybody goes there on a school trip. So that is quite funny. Another, like a little bit of a historical segue here. Um, At the weekend, I watched The Dig on Netflix. You know, the thing about... Oh, I haven't watched it yet, but I really want to. It's so good. And... Ralph Fiennes' Suffolk accent is excellent. Is it? I saw somebody gave it a 7 out of 10. and I was oh, like, is, really? this a, is this a good 7 out of 10 or like a negative 7 out of 10? See, we thought it was really good because my partner's from around here and has always been around here. And he was like, he sounds exactly how my granddad used to sound. Oh, right. <laughs> um, but yeah, my point with that was going to be, it got me to thinking, you know, we've talked before about like things that you accidentally dig up in your garden. Mm. Like the time I dug up a bone in a horseshoe. <laughs> yeah. Um, Imagine how many, I mean, okay, I admit that the the parameters between an enormous piece of land, a huge, huge piece of land and a Victorian terrace back garden are slightly different. But can you imagine if you were just like digging over your bed to plant something in it and then you were like, whoa, look at this incredible artifact I've just found. Is this a spoiler for the film? I mean, that's basically the whole premise of the film, so it's okay, not really okay. a spoiler. <laughs> I guess it's in the name, isn't it? A little bit. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like the the whole, the entire, like what the film is about. So it's not really a spoiler. Okay, I'm gonna go and watch that. I'm, uh, yeah, I, I do want to see it. It looks really, really good. And I think, um, you know, at the moment, it's like anything new that comes out. I'm like, right, jumping on this because there's not really much else to do. So I will head to Netflix and give that a watch and let you know what I think. Because I think the pace of it's really nice at the moment. I guess because I've been watching quite a lot of quite like actiony things, it was quite nice to just take a step back from the battles. Yeah, I watched the trailer and it does seem like it's quite a nice calm mm. um, type of thing that would, you know, you'd watch in the evening and then you'd feel ready to go to bed afterwards, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I would say any listeners of The Dirt, if you've dug up anything particularly interesting in your garden, please do let us know because I would be keen to know. And also let us know what your dream gardens are. We'd like some more inspo. Let us know everything. Yeah. Um, in the meantime, do you have some jobs on the plot for us for this week? I do, actually. Fab. Let you get on with them, then. One of the really exciting jobs for this point in the year is receiving and planting any fruit trees and bushes you've decided to add to your space. You'll need to delay if the ground is frozen, but once you can proceed, make sure your ground is well prepared and that you've chosen the best placement for your chosen variety. 
You may have seen Blake and I debate to chit or not to chit in Grow Your Own magazine. If you fall into the chitting camp, you can do this now. This process basically means allowing the seed potatoes to start sprouting shoots before planting. Sit your seed potatoes in an egg carton or similar with the rows end up, that's the end of the most eyes, and leave it in a frost-free spot until the shoots are around three centimetres long. You don't want them to become too long and brittle. In mild areas, you can make sowings of early crops outside, but offering them cloche protection is wise. If you live in a cooler part of the country, holding off a little while longer is best. Coming back to the fruit garden, this month is the last chance to winter prune your apples and pears before they spring out of dormancy, so don't delay if you haven't done this yet. It's also wise at this point to check over any stores of fruit and veg you may still have from last year. Remove any that are showing signs of spoiling. Spring really is just around the corner now. Until next time, happy growing. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of The Dirt in partnership with Marshalls. Marshalls Garden is an online gardening shop where it's easy to find everything you need for gardening all in one place. Founded over 75 years ago, its heritage is in supplying vegetable seeds and plants, including seed potatoes, onions, fruit plants and trees to grow your own gardeners. The company's passion, expertise and excellence continues in 2021, where it will launch over 130 new seed varieties. Specialists in garden care, Marshalls has the best range of compost, fertilisers, controls and hardware you will find online. Order from the easy-to-use website or from the delightful catalogue for convenient delivery direct to your door. You'll find lots of help and advice on the website, including growing guides, seasonal advice, monthly jobs and inspiration for projects to do in the garden. Just visit marshallsgarden.com for more. And don't forget to subscribe for free to make sure you never miss an episode of The Dirt. We'd love it if you rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and don't forget to tell all your lovely garden and allotment neighbours where to find us. Plus, as a special treat, we've got an exclusive Grow Your Own magazine offer just for the dirt listeners. Head to growfruitandveg.co.uk forward slash gpod7, that's G-P-O-D and the number 7, or call 0800 904 Seven triple zero, and quote GPod seven to receive seven issues of our magazine Grow Your Own straight to your door for just twenty nine ninety nine. That's eleven ninety four off. Every issue is edited by me and the team and is packed with gardening advice and jobs to tick off your list and a big bonus. Each magazine comes with a selection of free seeds, so you can get growing straight away. Check the episode notes for details and terms. And on a final exciting note, we're on the hunt for podcast guests and the next one could be you or someone you know. If you, a friend or a family member, has some great gardening advice, dirty gardening secrets or funny plot disasters they'd like to share, let us know by emailing thedirt at growfruitandveg.co.uk.